And it just led me down the road of studying all things sex, not just like STDs and STIs, but and safer sex and all of that. But also it led me down a road of studying pleasure and studying bodies and studying like and studying ecstasy and finding a spiritual tradition that's an ecstatic spiritual tradition and just kind of infusing my whole life with pleasure and sex and joy. This is Wine, Women, and Revolution with your host, Heather Warburton. Hi, and welcome to Wine, Women, and Revolution. I'm your host, Heather Warburton. Today, this is going to be a fun episode. I've met someone I've met, I think it was through She Podcasts is where I met her, and I loved her messaging as soon as I saw her. Her name is Brianna Cavanaugh, and she is the host of Fat Girl Finds Love. Welcome to the show, Brianna. (laughs) Thank you, Heather. Thank you for having me. I'm excited about your podcast. So you're kind of a sex and body positivity and love expert, right? How did that, how did you get into that? (laughs) Um, So it is, so I started when I was, um, this is not what I thought I would going to be doing with my life or whatever. But I, when I was 16, I started working on HIV education, actually, which would is in the early 90s, and um, which is all about sex. It's just, you know sexually transmitted disease. Um, and then once I started looking at that, um, all kinds of things happened. I discovered that I was queer. I discovered sex parties. I discovered that there's. I discovered sex education and like basically from the time I was 16, I started being a sex educator. I started being a sex educator before I'd had sex actually. Interesting. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) But I started because I was meeting people who had HIV, who were not in all the kind of demonized groups. Like there was a lot of demonizing of gay men um, as like the people who are transmitting this disease, but I kept meeting like straight women who had gotten it from their partners or from um, blood transfusions or from sharing needles. Like, and I was like basically incensed that this was happening and that like um, their children were going to be affected by, you know, losing their parents and this whole kind of narrative of like, Oh, this is just a reason to demonize gay men. And I was like, that is unacceptable yeah there were some horrible lies and myths with the beginning of uh when hiv was first discovered yeah and people were like dropping like flies and there was this yeah it was kind of um a horrifying time and so i basically just wanted to find out everything about that and like um and i hadn't had sex and it didn't really occur to me till much later that like like maybe if I hadn't had sex, I shouldn't be working on sex stuff. Like it just didn't occur to me. I was like, oh, this is really important. We should talk about sex. Right. Um, and we just need to talk about it. Like I just like, I was like, we just need to talk about it. Um, and it just led me down the road of studying all things sex, not just like STDs and STIs, but and safer sex and all of that. But also it led me down a road of studying pleasure and studying bodies and studying like, and studying ecstasy and fi- finding a spiritual tradition that's an ecstatic spiritual tradition and just kind of infusing my whole life with pleasure and sex and joy. 
which yeah. seems good. That seems like kind of a pretty <laughs> awesome life you've crafted there. It's pretty good. It's surprisingly good, you know, um, given that we live in this world that's sort of self-destructing right now. Like, um, I realized years ago that pleasure is super revolutionary, right? Like pleasure um, and just being allowed to live in a body is without, without oppression is like super revolutionary. So, um, you know, women, we live in these bodies that are constantly oppressed, especially if we are fat bodied people and deciding to allow myself to live without dieting and without that like constriction of enforced hypervigilance meant that I have energy for everything else in my life energy for raising a like kind of super revolutionary radical feminist son and finding a, an amazing extraordinary partner and starting a business and um traveling and all kinds of stuff um yeah it's been a kind of ongoing revolution in my life right well even just liking yourself anyone liking themselves is kind of revolutionary under capitalism because sure. we are you know they'd want to sell you things to fix everything that's wrong with you so they have to convince you everything that's wrong with you and especially yeah. the diet industry is like God, they've the kind of created a problem that isn't necessarily a problem and they're selling you some yeah. sort of solution to it that well, is never yeah. really going to be a solution <laughs> <laughs> they created so I don't know if you, I was just again reading about this I'm reading um Christy Harrison's anti-diet book which I just highly highly recommend first of all her work is amazing and she was again going through this history of sort of diet culture and we've known for 150 years that dieting like makes you fat like that's there's lots of science there's lots of studies that shows if you do calorie restriction especially repeated calorie restriction of any sort over a long period of time it increases your body weight and somehow through this sort of weaving together of racism and capitalism and um anti like and the sort of marketing industry, like the anti, like being okay industry, we've, they've created an, a diet industry that says that if you just work hard enough, you can change your body. But we know, and we've known for a long time that we can make people thin temporarily, but every time you do that, you actually are changing people's brains to focus on scarcity and to focus on food and then also to get fat as soon as they they stop right because your um, body thinks you're starving at that point in time like oh food is so yes. not a reliable thing we've got to right. hold on to everything because we know no one we're going to get fed again because we're only eating 800 calories exactly. for the past month exactly exactly and in fact they there was a study in um world war ii where they took a bunch of white men and they put them on very restrictive diets and it changed the course of their whole lives. And they did this voluntarily. This was not even one of those studies where they're like, we're going to do things to people and not tell them like people signed up to the help the war effort. And so there's, there's been, you know, government studies for 80 years where we know, you know, that if you do this to people, it changes, it just changes how their brains work. It changes their body, it changes everything. So this idea that the diet industry, the 70, 
plus now $72 billion a year diet industry, $72 billion a year to sell people something that actually doesn't work is like, it's kind of mind blowing to me that people keep. Right. And just the amount of like shame and bias that comes along with it. Like just recently, it was when I was prepping to do this interview and I saw this, there was a book just recently that a friend of mine had posted that was like a children's book and it had a girl that was heavier on the cover. Now it was illustrated. It was, you know, some cartoon book for little kids and it was a heavier girl doing yoga. And people were incensed just by seeing the cover of this book. They internalized that bias so much that even just seeing someone on the cover of a book was enough to like spark Facebook debates and anger and all kinds of negativity. So I did learn something recently about that, about the moral outrage connected to fatness that I did not know before. Um, First of all, I want to say something about using the word fat. I use the word fat as um, a self-descriptor. because I believe that we need to take the charge or bias out of using the word fat, that we should be able to use whatever word we want and that it shouldn't be a bad word. It shouldn't be negative. It shouldn't be an insult. We shouldn't be, and we shouldn't be hurling insults at people anyway. Um, but some people say fat, some people say higher weight um, as ways of talking about people and not pathologizing them using, sometimes we call it the O word, obesity um, is, is a pathologizing word. It's a medical term. It's a, it's a capitalist word basically for fat people. Um, and it's a way of saying that there's something wrong with you. So instead of, or overweight, which implies that there's, there is a weight that you should be being right. So instead of any pathologizing language, I, I use either higher weight or I use fat, but I use fat as a self, self descriptor these days. So I just use the word fat. So this idea of moral outrage, um, about fatness, um, Okay, so can I tell you, can I give you a little bit of information? Like, I'm super excited I found out about this. I've been reading this book. It's so great. So we know that, and you know that, because um, from Sandra Springs, who you interviewed on about fearing the black body, that that, um, the, all of this um, weight control idea came out of not wanting white women's bodies to be like black women's bodies and not wanting white women's bodies to be like out of control and all of this stuff. So we know right away that it's about controlling white women's bodies, but around, but again, around world war two, there was this, um, this connecting of moral outrage that like you should be working really hard. Right. And that it's really important Um, for the war effort, for your country, you know, that you not be a burden, right? And so they connected dieting and weight right into that. And so from that point forward, um, moral outrage has been part of the the anti, like the anti-fat, what do I want to call it? Sorry. The fat phobia is, is like, is also like this, like, oh my God, how could you? Like, Mm -hmm. how could you? Um, And that has to do with like, it's this, it's this sort of amazing thing. They actually did studies about this and they decided to keep the moral outrage in the diet industry because it actually is very compelling for people. Um, it's more the, um, the idea that you can actually, that you are actually personally responsible for your weight and that you can, and therefore you can control it. 
and you should control it. And it's a moral failing if you don't control it. And it's a moral failing if you're, if you eat the wrong thing, if you are the wrong weight, if you look the wrong way, that it's your fault is actually, the studies show that it's actually a way to push people and to motivate people to keep buying diet products. Right. Well, and I mean, so, that's a very capitalist mindset for everything. That yes. If you're poor, yes. it's your fault. It's not systemic that's failures. Right. It's your fault. You know, that that's very right. individualizing of blame and shame is something we see across all parts of society. If you get that's raped, right. it's your fault. What were you wearing? You know, like. Yeah, that's right. Because you, be, it comes from this idea that you um are in control of your body, you should be in control of your body, and it's your responsibility to be in, in control of your body. And so all of those things are connected, and the all these products are moved forward, right? All the money is dumped into them based on this idea, right? If at any point we went, well, it's not your fault, basically capitalism falls apart. Mm-hmm. It does. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually really into that idea. Um, that somehow we get to be able to lift all the shame and then we get to, cause it actually frees up all of this energy. Um, and so instead of spending all of our time and energy and money, um, making sure that you're eating the right food and looking the right way and wearing the right makeup and, you know, wearing the right clothes and, um, which is actually about class as well as about money, as well as about bodies, all of these things go together. And the minute you're like, I do what I want. Like everything sort of falls apart. Everybody's like, no, oh, you can't. Which is why women's power, right, is such a threat. Which is why, for example, can't elect Elizabeth Warren. Because the minute that we can decide that women have power in a real systemic way, it starts to undermine the whole thing. Well, I mean, and so much of this, I mean, and that's why, you know, the fact that you're a body positivity and sex expert at the same time, because it's all about things that are put in to control women. Oh, you can't have too much sex or you can't have sex this way or you can't have this kind of sex. You've got to just do what, you know, we've got to make sure it's just about you continuing and having kids and being barefoot and pregnant, or you've got to make sure you look this way. Like it's all about control of women, control of the reproductive capital. That's right. Um, The, the deeper truth actually. So it's about control of women's bodies, women's minds, women's health, our children, the indoctrination of our children, which also actually ends up being the mechanism for reproducing capitalism is actually um, women parenting children and reinforcing this bias that is beat into us one way or another. And that actually is, is also controlling men. I know that we don't like to necessarily go in that direction, but that is part of perpetuating the entire cycle. Right. Um, And so if you free any part of the cycle, then the whole thing starts to unravel. Um, Yeah. So it's, even now just a kind of a social agreement that this is still happening, right? Like when, when we, as we start to free up more and more people, what's happening is the system is starting to collapse. And that's what we're, what we're seeing, I think politically, socially, and all these different ways is people are, are either becoming more free or being desperate for more freedom. So they're doing things, they're like pulling threads of the tapestry. And so um, instead of body positivity, I usually talk about fat positivity because that actually swings it 
you know, all the way over, if you start talking about super fat folks and then thinner fat folks, you start to, to look at really creating happiness for the most marginalized among us. And then, and then shit really gets real because then you have to confront like your bias and your weirdness and the, all the diet stuff and yeah, like that. And so the work you're doing is just awesome. Like I really appreciate people that are doing this like frontline work on ending all stigmas because stigmas are shit and we need to get rid of them. Yeah. <laughs> Any stigma yeah. that you're, that you hold is biases and internal biases that you hold are bullshit yeah. and you need to stop having them. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah. And they're programmed. These stigmas are actually programmed into us. And that means that we can deprogram them, right? We can make decisions um, to look at uh, different media. We can make decisions to get educated. We can make decisions to educate our children. We can make decisions about how we vote and take action. And all of these things um, can help shift the whole narrative to something that is easier, better, more fun. Right. And speaking of fun things, I also I want to get into a little bit of talking about sex before we uh, end it today. Oh, I love sex. <laughs> Who doesn't love that? Sex is awesome. But the yeah. idea of that you're a fat woman who's having sex and enjoying sex and having good sex is kind and of having like, a lot of sex. <laughs> that's almost yeah. an alien concept in society these days. It's a little weird, right? Like I was, um, it, you know, and what's weird about it, I was just sitting around with other fat women last week and we were talking about this idea uh so i'm gonna tell you i'm gonna tell you a little story years and years and years ago maybe 10 years ago i was sitting in a hot tub at, at harbin hot springs a place that i love um with a bunch of people and one other fat woman and i and a bunch of men and other folks and she started talking about how um she's like oh it's so hard to get laid and then she turned to me and she was like right and I, I thought about it for a second and I was like, actually, no, I don't have that problem. And it made me wonder, like, do all fat women have, you know, or fat people in general have a hard time getting laid? And so I've started asking fat people if they have a hard time having sex. And I think that there is, I mean, I think the answer is both yes and no. Like last week it was like, no, I have a lot of sex, right? Like there was a bunch of women who were just like, all like, I have tons of sex. And I'm definitely talking about to other folks who are like, oh, no, I definitely find it hard. I find it hard to date. Um, and what I what it made me realize is that fat women's experiences in that way are not actually that different than women's experiences. Right. Like some women find it easy to date. Some women find it hard to date. Some women have lots of sex. Some women have not as much. Sex. Like it's just very normal to have a range of sexual experiences. Right. Normal. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so I am on the, I like to have sex end of the sex spectrum and I like to have sex with lots of different genders and body types. And I, I like it. I think it's great. Right. And I mean, I've been with my husband since we were 20 and I am Aww. now 43. Um, so, you know, like I've been having quite a bit of sex with my husband for a very long time now. And, you know, it's just you don't hear women and especially not fat women talking about having sex and loving sex and liking your yeah. body and how it responds during sex. Like these kind yes, of conversations yes. are, again, not a mainstream conversation. They're not. yes. Yeah, I think that has to do with this level of oppression that if we assume that fat people's bodies are are out of bounds, right, that there's something wrong with fat women's bodies, then they don't do, as a result, they don't do normal things, right? Mm -hmm. Like have sex, which is a normal thing, right? 
So we assume that um, fat women's bodies are sexless. That, uh, and this is assumed of women like over 40, like this last fuckable day thing that um, I don't know if you ever saw that little video, the last fuckable, your last no. fuckable day. Which, oh my God. You should <laughs> You're going to totally have to tell me what YouTube. the last fuckable day is. <laughs> well, there are these three. Oh gosh. I, I can't remember everybody's names, but um, these three very famous actresses um, get together to celebrate um, one of their last fuckable day. And, and it's like, Oh, you know, once you pass, whatever, I think it's 40, like you, you can't get any more roles having sex, but men, you know, can be kind of heartthrobs into their like seventies. Right. right? Like <laughs> what the hell is up with that? And so they do a whole little skit about it. You should definitely look it up on YouTube. It's hilarious, but yeah. it also just shines this light on this idea that even though these women are like thin and like, you know, mega stars, they're suddenly like, what do you mean? I can't be, you know, play the ingenue anymore. Like, are you kidding me? Like my co-star is 25 years older than me. How is that even a thing that like, really? You need someone younger, even younger than me to play his partner? What? Yeah, that happens quite a lot in movies and on TV of the age gap between and just the attractiveness gap usually in TV shows and whatnot between right. men and women. <laughs> like, homely looking yeah. men, like, are partnered up with beautiful women in, like, every sitcom you can think of, you know? Yes. Yeah, so I... I think that reinforces men's entitlement about having any women that they want. Like there's this idea that, you know, a man should be able to have sex with whoever he wants, you know, that he gets to pick. It turns out in reality, typically women actually do the picking. Um, and you know, that's, there's no way universally true, but if you ask men and I have a lot, they are like, Oh yeah, she totally picks, you know, she picked me. Mm -hmm. Um, which is funny because like you think of men approach, like the typical interaction is men approach women. Right. And then they ask women and, but then women get to say yes or no. Right. Um, we actually don't get to, we immediate. We also don't think of women as saying no, like they still only say no until they say yes. Right. Mm -hmm. Then eventually if a man pursues a woman long enough, she will say yes, which is horseshit. Don't believe that. Um, but this idea that like, well, you know, of course it's him, but in reality, the women are the ones who get to say yes or no men are pursuing them uh, again this is not universal this is like how we kind of perceive the stories reality. we tell ourselves yeah right and so as a result we have a you know there's a lot of women waiting around being like well why hasn't he asked me yet yeah but, see i totally like, violated these uh cultural norms i met you know my uh husband was a friend of my roommate in college and my pickup line for him like the first night was if you'd like you can sleep in my room tonight <laughs> <laughs> yes that's awesome and we've been together ever since that's amazing so. good job <laughs> yeah that's fantastic um i I mean, I think everybody should pick up on everyone. Like, mm -hmm. you know, if not in a, not in a grody way, but just in a like, hi, I think you're great. Let's right. hang out. Let's spend time together. Do you want to make out? Do you want to have sex? Let's do it. Yeah. So I've been doing a whole series on my podcast of about fat sex and interviewing fat women about having sex. A bunch of us go to um, Cancun and like nice. we have a giant sex vacation for a week every year, which is fantastic. Highly recommend. And so this last year, which was our third year. Um, 
I was like, Hey, fat women, do you, you know, can I interview you? And I did like a bunch of interviews while I was there. And it was great because we told a lot of stories about sex that we were having with all kinds of people in all kinds of ways. Like there was a dungeon where people got tied up and spanked and all kinds of stuff. And we had amazing stories <laughs> from the dungeon stories from the dungeon. <laughs> it was really good. It's like, and for us, it's really normal. Like we were just talking about, we were just talking about sex as though we just have sex and as though sex were just normal for us, which is, which it is. Right. So we were talking about sex with our partners. We were talking about when we like to have sex and how, and like what was great about being on vacation and having sex and like having sex by the hot tub. And, you know, it's a clothing op optional place. So, you know, there are places that you can have sex outside, which is like, if you're into it, it's great. Um, so yeah, we get to have, talk about sex as much as we, as much as we want to talk about sex, you know, and it was great. Uh, it partly, it was great because it was so fun to get to interview people and hear them be just like excited, like excited, turned on, tell their stories. And I feel like we just don't, we just don't tell stories, you know, about sex in general. No. And we don't, we definitely don't tell stories about fat sex. So I'm pretty thrilled to get to be interviewing women about their yeah that's a life. very cool podcast idea that you have there for sure thanks it's been very fun I like when I when I thought of it I was like I really I really need to talk about this stuff like I really need to like I've been doing all this stuff and I feel like I've gotten to this place where like I have all this information to share and all you know like needs it just needs to get out in the world and then I started talking to people like oh yeah let's talk about it let's you know so I've been interviewing all these amazing people I, I yeah I recommend in general talking about sex and that's what you do now. That's what your podcast is about. <laughs> so it works out really well. Yeah. Yeah. We're just about out of time for today. So going to get your plugs in, your where people can find you. And, oh, uh, yes. So I am on Facebook and Twitter as Fat Girl Finds Love. Um, so you can find the podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and basically everywhere that you can you can find podcasts. We have a website, fatgirlfindslove.com and you can find us on Facebook and Twitter and on Instagram. Right now I'm just using my regular Instagram, which is love dosed where I'm showing pictures of my fat body and fat bodies of with me and my friends so that you get to see normalized, like all different kinds of bodies. It's very fun. I'm just having a really good time. That's awesome. Living your best life, right? You know, Living that's my best that's fat life. <laughs> <laughs> it's been great talking to you today. I've had a, a blast talking to you. Yeah, thank you. Same here. To my listeners, thank you so much for joining us here today. Hopefully you had as much fun listening to this interview as I had recording it. And, you know, sometimes we do very deep dives on this show. And even though we had fun today, we talked about some really serious topics. Things that, you know, we talk about that's the same oppression and the same kinds of biases and phobias and not loving yourself that we find in so many things. And we love activists and we love sharing stories that aren't getting told in mainstream media. That's really what we're here for. And we appreciate you so much. We appreciate you for being here, for supporting us. The future is yours to create. Go out there and create it.